Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure. Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black. Cracking open. Oh, another delicious can of Diet Coke. Now, maybe you're thinking, Michael, you haven't turned your back on black tea, have you? Oh, heck no. Heck no. Black tea every morning. Black tea every night. Sometimes uh, in the middle of the afternoon. But geez, when you when you sit down to record on a... On a warm spring afternoon, doesn't it feel great to have a delicious sip of Diet Coke? Mmm. Oh, that's Diet Coke right there. Delicious. Well, what's been going on? You know, controversy after controversy in as award season uh progresses concludes i don't know it seems like it, it seems like award season never ends there's always awards being given out everybody's always getting awards i'm never getting awards i don't deserve them but it'd be nice to get one speaking of somebody who may not deserve one louis ck won an award last night it was the grammys for his new uh album entitled sincerely louis ck which is a funny title because it's it doesn't it's not very sincere in, uh, in the way that comedy has, be, has embraced sincerity in the last few years. And maybe that is the joke. It was, it was titled ironically as a kind of statement against sincerity. I don't know. Because at the same time that Louis' album is coming out, uh, uh, Gerard, Gerard, Gerard Carmichael's album is coming out uh, where he comes out. Or I guess it's special. He hosted... Uh, SNL this past week, too. I never watched SNL. I haven't seen it in years and years and years, but I did watch his funny opening monologue because everybody was talking about that it was funny. And in Gerard's uh, opening monologue, he talks about the previous award controversy involving Will Smith and Chris Rock. And so you've got that controversy, and now you've got this Louis C.K. controversy. And uh, the controversy is obviously, you know, pretty straightforward. His album, Louis' album, won for whatever the comedy album category is. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a second. You're telling me this guy won after all of his problems? And the answer is, yeah, he did. 
So I didn't even know he released an album, so I listened to it, or at least yeah, maybe uh, maybe about a third of it this morning. Hold on. And it's typical Louis C.K. stuff. Um, very little by in the way of sincerity, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was it was just a a, a peculiar experience to me listening to this album because I haven't been paying attention to Louis's comedy uh, in the past couple of years. I suspect most of us have not, although some certainly have, and vocally so. That's their right. But I thought, well, let me just listen to this and sort of see where his brain is. And it is remarkably in the same place where we last left it which is to say with a lot of jokes about sex and holes and some jokes about masturbation and some very funny observations and some just meanness. Uh, and all in all, it's just it's a strange listening experience. There's the before time with Louie and there, then there's the after time with Louie. And you would think, I would think, that maybe Louis would have evolved somewhat, having gone through that maelstrom. But it doesn't seem like he has. And if you liked Louis before, then you're going to like Louis now. You know? Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. If what, you liked, if, if what you liked about Louis was the very specific Louis stuff before, and these allegations, not allegations, he admitted it, and these, uh, what, what, whatever you want to call them, situations didn't particularly trouble you, then you will be fine. You will, you will have uh, gone through the Louis experience and you will have escaped unscathed, okay, as a fan. I can't do that because I did enjoy Louis before very much. I thought he was really funny. I thought he was, uh, I, 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 I like his voice, you know. I liked that I'm a shithead voice. I liked that he was, I, I, I liked his language. I liked his, the way he expressed himself. I thought he picked up on really funny things that other people didn't pick up on. I thought he was great. But it's impossible now to listen to Louis without always having a certain image in your mind. And I think you probably already know what that image is. And without him ever having fully publicly talked about it. I can't move past it. As a, as a listener of his comedy, I don't, I don't say that as somebody in judgment of him. I feel like that's a separate thing. I'm saying as somebody who consumed his comedy beforehand and his uh, television show, it's impossible for me to listen to the new album without having all of that lingering, unaddressed stuff. It taints it. It corrupts it. Like, he's got a joke in there about, like, he's God, right? Or he's talking about God and how it would be so much easier for everybody if God would just hold a press conference and just to clear some stuff up, you know? And, and, uh, like, and, and one of the examples he uses is, uh, God talking and saying, so there was a Garden of Eden and there was Adam and, and, and Eve and Steve, all three of them. And then I was just jerking off to him. 
And it's a weird moment because the audience laughs and then almost starts to applaud. And, and I, the, the sense that I got was they were applauding, about to applaud, because Louis was referencing his own indiscretion, right? That idea of the voyeuristic masturbator. And then you feel them pulling back. They don't applaud, ultimately, because they're thinking to themselves, oh, wait a second, I don't think, I don't feel like, I don't feel right about applauding the fact that Louis was jerking off in front of people without their consent, right? So it creates an uncomfortable moment in that moment because, very specifically, Louis hasn't addressed it in a very, in a, in a public way. He may feel like he has, if only for the fact that everybody knows about it. And the fact that he kind of obliquely references it here and there. But there hasn't been the kind of uh, uh, mea culpa public reckoning that I feel like it deserves. And, and you know, you can disagree with that. You may be like, well, whatever. Like, he's moving past it. We can all move past it. And there's an argument to be made there. But I'm saying as a fan or former fan of his comedy, I find it impossible to do so. And so it made me go, well, why? there's got to be other people having this experience listening to this album, which is, you know, and the album is funny. There, you know, there's plenty of funny stuff on it. But you go to your, I think to myself, well, why, why did this win a Grammy, for God's sake? That's the kind of inexplicable part of it. There's nothing inexplicable about him putting the album out. There's nothing inexplicable about the way he has chosen to handle the situation or not handle the situation. There's nothing inexplicable about his growth or lack of growth. But I do find it inexplicable that he won a Grammy for it. That there are no more deserving albums, comedy albums, than that one of the, of, of the last year. I find that impossible to believe. And it's so discordant, I feel like, to listen to it now. There's other jokes scattered throughout that also make that also just make me think about Louis C.K. jerking off in front of people, which is which is not what I want to think about really at any time. And I suppose you know he he's just going to be cursed with that forever, the way Jeffrey Tubin is now cursed with that forever, and so be it. Last time on. The podcast, we were talking about how Heathcliff, or Mrs. Uh, Dean was talking about how Heathcliff had reached the age of 16 and contrived to convey an impression of inward and outward repulsiveness. And I made the observation that, in my experience, Having dealt with teenage boys in the recent past and having been a teenage boy in the not-so-recent past, I certainly understand that. But there has to be a moment in one's life when one uh, does not care to convey an impression of inward and outward repulsiveness. There is a... There is a, uh, I don't know what the word is, but a lack of maturity, an immaturity, but more than that, an arrested development in some guys who never move past that. And Louis C.K. has made a career of it. It just seems like that career 
no longer works, at least for this listener, this former fan. Um, when last we were with Heathcliff and company, there was all kinds of, you know, sort of, I don't want to say, uh, you know, it's, it's it, whatever, I don't know what the word is. I don't, don't know that there is one. But, you know, in, in comedy, in farce, there's all these people running around the house, you know, all trying to do different things and running around with chickens with their heads cut off. And that's kind of what's happening here in Wuthering Heights, only without the comedic aspect of it. So you've got Heathcliff upset with Catherine and Edgar, who's courting her, and Hindley, who's trying to keep the peace, and all kinds of stuff going on. None of it good. Heathcliff has of late sort of lost his, his, what made him agreeable and enchanting almost, which was his curiosity, his love of books. And uh, now he's just, he's 16 and he's just sort of been beaten down, already exhausted by the ways of the world and we feel terrible for him. Uh, he took a grim pleasure, apparently, in exciting the aversion rather than the esteem of his few acquaintances, where we left it last. So let us pick it up with Chapter 8, Wuthering Heights. <laughs> Catherine and he were constant companions still at his seasons of respite from labor. Respite? Respite. Respite from labor. But he had ceased to express his fondness for her in words, well, as boys do, and recoiled with angry suspicion from her girlish caresses, as if conscious there could be no gratification in lavishing such marks of affection on him. On the before-named occasion, he came into the house to announce his intention of doing nothing. Well, the occasion is that Mr. Hindley had left home, and Heathcliff presumed to give himself a holiday on the strength of it. So he says, I'm not doing anything, while I was assisting Miss Cathy to arrange her dress. She had not reckoned on his taking it into his head to be idle, and imagining she would have the whole place to herself, she managed, by some means, to inform Mr. Edgar of her brother's absence and was then preparing to receive him. Cathy, are you busy this afternoon? asked Heathcliff. Are you going anywhere? No, it is raining, she answered. Why have you, why have you that silk frock on, then? he said. Nobody coming here, I hope. Not that I know of, stammered Miss. But you should be in the field now, Heathcliff. It is an hour past dinner time. I thought you were gone. Hindley does not often free us from his accursed presence, observed the boy. I'll not work any more today. I'll stay with you. Oh, but Joseph will tell, she suggested. You'd better go. Joseph is loading lime on the farther side of Penistow Crag. It will take him till dark and he'll never know. So saying, he lounged to the fire and sat down. Catherine reflected an instant with knitted brows. She found it needful to smooth the way for an intrusion. Isabella and Edgar Linton talked of calling this afternoon, she said at the conclusion of a minute's silence. As it rains, I hardly expect them, but they may come, and if they do, you run the risk of being scolded for no good. Order Ellen to say you are engaged, Cathy, he persisted. Don't turn me out for those pitiful, silly friends of yours. I'm on the point sometimes of complaining that they... But I'll not. That they what? cried Catherine. 
gazing at him with a troubled countenance. Oh, Nelly, she added petulantly, jerking her head away from my hands. You've combed my hair quite out of curl. That's enough. Let me alone. What are you on the point of complaining about, Heathcliff? Nothing. Only look at the almanac on that wall. He pointed to a framed sheet hanging near the window and continued. The crosses are for the evenings you have spent with the Lintons. The dots for those spent with me, do you see? I've marked every day. Yes, very foolish, as if I took notice, replied Catherine in a peevish tone. And where is the sense of that? To show that I do take notice, said Heathcliff. And should I always be sitting with you? She demanded, growing more irritated. What good do I get? What do you talk about? You might be dumb or a baby for anything you say to amuse me or for anything you do either. You never told me before that I talked too little or that you disliked my company, Cathy, exclaimed Heathcliff in much agitation. It's no company at all. When people know nothing and say nothing, she muttered. Well, she's just being a ripe old bitch, is she not? Well, I get it. Look, I get it. These two star-crossed lovers having a little row. But can you blame her? I mean, you know, Heathcliff, when, even when he's around, he just sits there, doesn't say anything, mumbles, plays with his thumbs, growls at the moon, does whatever a teenage boy does. And Catherine's sitting there wanting to be entertained wanting to be petted and fretted over like any teenage girl. And look, I know I'm, in, I'm engaging in sexist stereotypes, so sue me. And here you've got Edgar and Isabella coming over and probably gossiping and talking about the stuff that Catherine as a teenage girl finds herself interested in, you know, what so-and-so is doing or saying and what they're wearing in the markets of gay Paris or some such nonsense. I don't know. But they're more entertaining, they're more amusing to Catherine now than Heathcliff. Spark of life having gone from his eye after these years of abuse in the Earnshaw household. So, you know, let's, let's give them a moment to kind of collect themselves. You know, hopefully Edgar and Isabella won't show up because, you know, that's going to be a scene. And we don't want a scene. That's the last thing we want is a scene. So we'll take a little break. And then we shall return here on Obscure. Back on Obscure, trouble brewing, you know, with the, the Lintons on their way over in the rain. Heathcliff's got his feet up with Hindley Earnshaw away from home for the day. And, you know, always trouble. Always trouble where Heathcliff is concerned. Her companion rose up, meaning Heathcliff, but he hadn't time to express his feelings further, for a horse's feet were heard on the flags, and having knocked gently, young Linton entered, his face brilliant with delight at the unexpected summons he had received. Doubtless Catherine marked the difference between her friends, as one came in and the other went out. The contrast resembled what you see in exchanging a bleak, hilly coal country for a beautiful, fertile valley, and his voice and greeting were as opposite as his aspect. He had a sweet, low manner of speaking, and pronounced his words as you do. That's less gruff than we talk here, and softer. I'm not come too soon, am I? he said, casting a look at me. 
I had begun to wipe the plate and tidy some drawers at the far end in the dresser. No, answered Catherine. What are you doing there, Nellie? My work, miss, I replied. Mr. Hindley had given me directions to make a third party in any private visits Linton chose to pay. In other words, uh, Hindley had said, hey, look, if that Edgar kid shows up, you know, just keep, just hang out, you know, because I don't want no unnecessary finger banging going on in my house. And I'm sorry to be crass about it, but that's what he's worried about. You know, he's worried about all the finger banging. She stepped behind me and whispered crossly, Take yourself and your dusters off. When company are in the house, servants don't commence scouring and cleaning in the room where they are. It's a good opportunity, now that Master is away, I answered aloud. He hates me to be fidgeting over these things in his presence. I'm sure Mr. Edgar will excuse me. I hate you to be fidgeting in my presence, exclaimed the young... Oh, I'm, you know, I got all these different voices to do, and I have to guess who's, who's saying what. I hate you to be fidgeting in my presence, exclaimed the young lady imperiously, not allowing her guest time to speak. She had failed to recover her equanimity since the little dispute with Heathcliff. I'm sorry for it, Miss Catherine, was my response, and I proceeded assiduously with my occupation. She, supposing Edgar could not see her, snatched the cloth from my hand and pinched me with a prolonged wrench very, very spitefully on the arm. I've said I did not love her and rather relished mortifying her vanity now and then. Besides, she hurt me extremely, so I started up from my knees and screamed out, Oh, miss, that's a nasty trick. You have no right to nip me, and I'm not going to bear it. I didn't touch you, you lying creature, cried she, her fingers tingling to repeat the act, and her ears red with rage. She never had power to conceal her passion. It always set her whole complexion in a blaze. What's that then, I retorted showing a decided purple witness to refute her. She stamped her foot, wavered a moment, and then, irresistibly impelled by the naughty spirit within her, slapped me on the cheek a stinging blow that filled both eyes with water. (laughs) Oh, Catherine. Look, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, you know, and, and, and... For the younger listeners out there, I hope you'll take this to heart. Don't slap the help, okay? They may deserve it. They may be cheeky. They may, uh, you know, break a glass here and there. But for goodness sake, don't slap the help, you know? They're just folks, you know, trying to do their level best to make an honest day's pay. And here you are slapping the shit out of them. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't lower yourself to their standards, to the standards of the help. You're better than that. You're their employer. (laughs) Um, What is Catherine doing? Now, look, I've had a fair amount of sympathy for Catherine up until this point. Despite Mrs. Dean's protestations to the contrary, that she's a terrible little person and a horrible little minx, and even allowing for age, even allowing for her, her humiliation in front of her her date, we just, I'm sorry, you just don't go around pinching and hitting people. It's just unacceptable. Unacceptable. And Edgar Linton interjects. He says, Catherine, love, Catherine, interposed Linton, greatly shocked at the double fault of falsehood and violence which his idol had committed. Leave the room, Ellen, she repeated, 
trembling all over. Little Harton, who followed me everywhere, you know, remember that's the bairn, the young baby, and was sitting near me on the floor at seeing my tears, commenced crying himself, and sobbed out complaints against wicked Aunt Cathy, which drew her fury onto his unlucky head. She, she seized his shoulders and shook him till the poor child waxed livid, and Edgar thoughtlessly laid hold of her hands to deliver him. In an instant, one was wrung free, and the astonished young man felt it applied over his own ear in a way that could not be mistaken for jest. So now she has not only slapped <laughs> Mrs. Dean, she has shaken the baby, and, you know, again, the baby may deserve it. Like, babies can be assholes. No question about it. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Don't shake the baby. Why? Its head could fall off. And you don't want a baby head rolling around on the floor. Okay? It's just going to cause more mess and more trouble for everybody. Don't shake the baby. And so Edgar, seeing her doing this... And I don't know why Mrs. Dean doesn't throw herself bodily onto Catherine to prevent her from shaking the baby. Uh, Edgar uh, takes it upon himself to stop her from doing so. And in doing so, gets uh, his own ear cuffed. So Catherine is just a little maniac. That's what we're learning in this episode. Uh, and, you know, we may have felt bad about the relationship, the, des the deteriorating relationship between Heathcliff and Catherine. But at this point, you have to say to yourself, well, geez, you know, maybe, maybe Heathcliff is getting out lucky here. You know, maybe he's getting out of the deal cheap. At least she's not punching him in the nose. You know, biting off his ear, doing whatever. I mean, she's just certifiable. He drew back in consternation. This is Edgar now. I lifted Hareton in my arms and walked off to the kitchen with him, leaving the doors of communication open for I was curious to watch how they would settle their disagreement. Yeah, well, I would be too. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, during courtship, it is best not to assault the one you are courting. The insulted visitor moved to the spot where he had laid his hat, pale and with a quivering lip. That's right, I said to myself, take warning and be gone. It's a kindness to let you have a glimpse of her genuine disposition. Where are you going? demanded Catherine, advancing to the door. He swerved aside and attempted to pass. You must not go, she exclaimed energetically. I must and shall, he replied in a subdued voice. No, she persisted, grasping the handle. Not yet. Edgar Linton... Sit down. You shall not leave me in that temper. I should be miserable all night, and I won't be miserable for you. Can I stay after you have struck me? asked Linton. Catherine was mute. You've made me afraid and ashamed of you, he continued. I'll not come here again. Her eyes began to glisten and her lids to twinkle. And you told a deliberate untruth, he said. I didn't, she, re she cried, recovering her speech. I did nothing deliberately. Well, go if you please. Get away. And now I'll cry. I'll cry myself sick. <laughs> she's awful. Yeah, but she's awful in a way that I like. You know, I like her awfulness. She's awful in the way that, uh, what's her face? Nellie was awful in Little House on the Prairie. Just a spoiled little brat. 
you know, just terrible, just lying and hitting people and saying terrible things and doing awful things. And then when she's caught in it, trying to make you feel bad by saying, well, I'll just be miserable. I don't want to be miserable. I'll cry. I'll just cry and cry and cry. You know, just, ugh, just, just a terrible wretch of a human being. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I'll cry myself sick. She dropped down on her knees by a chair and set to weeping in serious earnest. Edgar persevered in his resolution as far as the court. Then there he lingered. I resolved to encourage him. Miss is dreadfully wayward, sir, I called out, as bad as any married child. You'd better be riding home or else she will be sick only to grieve us. The soft thing looked askance through the window. He possessed the power to depart, as much as a cat possesses the power to leave a mouse half-killed, or a bird half-eaten. Ah, I thought, there will be no saving him. He's doomed and flies to his fate. And so it was. He turned abruptly, hastened into the house again, shut the door behind him, and when I went in a while after to inform them that Earnshaw had come home rabid drunk, ready to pull the old place about our ears, his ordinary frame of mind in that condition, I saw the quarrel had merely affected a closer intimacy, had broken the outworks of youthful timidity, and enabled them to forsake the disguise of friendship and confess themselves lovers. Intelligence of Mr. Hindley's arrival drove Linton speedily to his horse and Catherine to her chamber. I went to hide little Hareton and to take the shot out of the master's fouling piece, which he was fond of playing with in his insane excitement to the hazard of the lives of any who provoked or even attract his notice too much, and I had hit upon the plan of removing it, that he might do less mischief if he did go to the length of firing the gun. <laughs> End of chapter 8. So, uh, you know, violence has reared its ugly head there in Wuthering Heights with more violence promised. As, uh, you know, the master comes home and he's going to, he's dead drunk. He's being, and when he gets drunk, oh, you know how he is. He starts fiddling with his gun and pointing it at people. <laughs> what, do you hear that? That's the sirens. That's the sirens responding to the violence. I don't know if you hear it, but they, they're not taking any chances either. The good constables here in Savannah have been alerted to the violence occurring in their city limits. Well, no, no worries, fellas. It's just literary violence. Nothing to concern yourselves with. And uh, yeah, so, you know, masters come home, hide the guns. Just a terrible place to live. Let's be honest, it's just a terrible, terrible place to live. And, and, and for that reason, I'm glad we only visit once a week here on Obscure. So we'll leave it there. With the chapter ending and such, we'll pick up again next week with the beginning of chapter nine. Hopefully the gun will get fired. Hopefully, you know, blood will be spattered. Hopefully terrible, terrible things will happen to this motley crew. But we'll leave it there, as I said, and we'll pick it up next time on another uh, incipient episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you Adieu.
This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black, and get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening. <laughs>